Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Team Builder Podcast. It's kind of been a little bit. I haven't been recording as many episodes just because of some things going on internally. That's kind of how it is at a small company like ours, as the work kind of comes and goes. But here I am, and I'm back. So today's guest is Tom Newman. Uh, Tom Newman spent uh, many years at Yale, um, but mostly in the college industry throughout his career, most recently at Yale as a director of student performance and innovation, which is their director of performance position. Tom is actually now with Hawkins Dynamic, which makes force plates, and he is their chief innovation officer, um, which wasn't a surprise to me at all. Uh, When Tom was at uh, Yale, he was really kind of pushing the limits on a lot of things, and quite frankly, a lot of colleagues in the industry that knew him and knew I kind of told me, like, hey, you got to pay attention to what Tom is doing and has been doing uh, at Yale with his athletes. And, you know, he was a big part of how Team Builder was used uh, at a, you know, a big time level, a competitive collegiate level and helped us improve our product. So we get into that a little bit, but we also talk about just how, you know, strength and conditioning today is not the same as it was even just five years ago, especially at the college level. It's more competitive and there are more demands uh, on the position and the, uh, the staff uh, for the better, you know, not necessarily you know, unreasonable demands, but just kind of how the industry is evolving. And Tom was definitely the tip of the spear on that and is continuing to do that with his role at Hawkins. So I decided to have Tom on. I'm recording a couple more podcasts uh, this week as well in order to kind of get a few more episodes out there. Um, If the listeners could actually help me out, if you think that you would be a good guest or if you know someone that you want to talk to me and, and come on a podcast, I would really appreciate it because to a degree, I feel like the industry as a whole kind of recycles the same guests. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, But I just feel like I would be more interested in kind of giving people a little bit of a spotlight that typically don't get it. Um, So if you could think of someone who fits that description, uh, please do me a favor and let me know. Okay, enjoy the show. All right. Hey, Tom, how you doing, man? Hey, how are you? Tom and I, we've been good friends for several several years and i think this is the first time i've done a podcast with you in your new position prior to that i've always known you as the uh well first uh, strength coach at yale and then for a long time the director of performance at yale so tom how long were you at at yale and actually how long were you just a a coach in a college setting before working with hawkins dynamic yeah no uh it's a great question i mean i got to yale in the january of 2016 and so went through there. And then in 2018, uh, as you mentioned, we promoted up into the director role. So it was great and had a lot of initiative there. I mean, it's pretty straightforward what our mission was, um, you know, working with uh, Coach Shea and Coach Reno, um, you know, starting with them initially and then basically to the rest of the department. But really, you know, going out and winning championships. I mean, that's what it was always about and nothing more, nothing less and using every technology that Yale had um, to basically, you know, win. And so we did that. And that was great. And Prior to that, um, you know, I had been at Salve just after post-graduation. We always talk about all the time the value of the internship and making connections. Um, that was back in 2008. And I think that might have even been when the first time uh, my coach at the time, I believe, was your coach. So mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting how that connection goes back and, you know, we're, we're pushing over 10 years. So uh, that's kind of been my journey. Yeah. So coaching for a long time, needless to say. And then 
Tucker's dynamic enters the picture. Do, do you want to talk a little bit at all about your transition, just kind of what your vision was for yourself and making that change? Yeah, sure. I, um, I think the biggest thing for me was I had been approached uh, by Ben Watson, who's the CEO. Um, we had seen their product, um, but really kind of what got me excited was when he started talking about his vision. Um, as you know, I also had a little entrepreneurial background as well um, in a previous life. Um, and so hearing kind of the, the different opportunities that Ben was talking about got me excited. And I think specifically, you know, I think wherever you're at, you know, you're, you're trying to figure out what your purpose is. And so in the case with Ben, uh, what I was really excited about was, you know, we had a lot of good things uh, in New Haven, but how do we bring that nationwide? How could we bring that? And when I say that, I mean, to the field, to the industry, um, and basically impact the biggest amount of athletes. And obviously the challenge, some of the new technology and you know, you've been in this space for a while. I mean, the game has completely changed in the last five years. The game has completely changed. It's a different industry completely than 10 years ago. And so um, that challenge, that excitement, that development, being able to work on new products, um, being able to, you know, again, work with customers at all levels, not just college anymore, working in the tactical space, working in the collegiate, the professional, um, both one-on-one -on -one with the coaches uh, and then also with the athletes as well. And so it was really kind of a total package um, and the autonomy to really kind of whatever you can think of go um and so that team has been great and uh, you know they have a hardware component but really it's getting back into that data sector in that world and and figuring out what can we do to make competitive products and so that's kind of my role um is really kind of bridging that gap from being in the trenches and saying you know i really wish we had uh i wish we had a number for this or i wish we had a interface that could uh tell us that now we can actually go work with our developers, um, work with our staff and make those things become a reality. So that's, you know, some of the excitement that I have now. And, and again, not just one location, but also, you know, now uh, globally as well. So that's kind of uh, my role at Hawken and specifically uh, the vision that kind of sold me on it. When you say the game has changed and it's different than five years ago, do you think that a lot of coaches are adjusting in a timely manner, or do you think it's a few coaches pushing the field and then everyone kind of catching up? I think within the population, you know, you have some thought leaders and sometimes those leaders uh, may be leading in the wrong direction. Some may be in the right, but uh, for certain, you know, in the last five years, you know, there's been such a boom of accountability and notice I said accountability, not just technology that, you know, you can now go in and look at, you know, your workouts over the last year last two years over the course of someone's career with a click of a button you know that really wasn't commonplace you know, we go and look at now sharing of information I mean, even little things is you know google drive you know how do you get a message across or slack or teamworks or any of these kind of different platforms so that speed of information uh, that transfer has certainly sped up and then and now you've got data the next evolution kind of being those insights and i think you look at what alabama's done is pretty incredible um, I think the, you know, that, that combination strength coach and scientist together, uh, I think that's really the tip of the iceberg of at least the collegiate setting. Um, and then again, as we push forward with technology, it kind of puts the emphasis back in, um, on some of the old school coaching techniques. Yes. You had the data, right. It was a data rush. Now there's an insight rush, but now what do you do with it? You know, yeah. data and insight are useless if there's no action to be had from it. So I think the speed and the velocity of information and the speed to action, um, has really, really doubled and tripled um, in speed. So you were actually the first person to, to bring up uh, Coach Ballou, uh and 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 uh, the, the coaches while they were at Indiana, and you were tracking them and their what they were talking about, writing about while they were there. So what what kind of made them 
um, like unique or insightful to you? Why were you reading their stuff back then? What were they bringing to the table that was new in your opinion? I think the very first article I read about them was looking at their speed. And I believe it was a LinkedIn post that, um, that uh, Dr. Reed had uh, put up about looking at the, the 1080 uh, on the sprint. I believe that's what I was looking at. I was looking at velocities. Uh, we, for a long time, have said, you know, get everybody to squat double body weight and then shift your focus. And can you squat more than uh, twice your body weight? Yeah, but I really hadn't seen anything on my side of things that, um, you know, it really contributed. Again, we lift for increased performance, not just to get our numbers up, but if I can squat double, then I can do this, then I can do that. Well, that article was all about speed. And, and again, don't quote me on it, but I believe it was either <clears throat> 1.75 or 1.7 where, you know, they started talking about, Baloo was saying about, you know, they didn't see any increase in speed on the field. And their goal, specifically at Indiana, was to increase the player speed. And they, they made a difference. And, I, and what I love about it is that they had some kind of different concepts, but they backed it up with data. And then you saw what they did, you know, on the field. That's, a, again, just because your numbers went up in the weight room, if it doesn't directly correlate to either increased productivity or longevity, I'm not really interested. And then they took that whole entire concept to one of the best coaches of all time with yeah. some, you know, arguably the, you know, I'm sure nothing against the Indiana players, but, you know, you're, you're talking at Alabama, you've got hands on the top 1%, you know, of college football players um, in the country. I mean, that's a scary thought. Like, I don't, I don't know if they'll ever lose again, right. As they go forward. I mean, it's just, it's pretty wild. And again, I hope that that becomes the norm you know, of, you know, data-driven uh, decisions, not just, you know, one person's opinion, because yeah. everything that we do is within context, everything's multi-domain. So that's yeah. why the sweeping statements of, I don't believe in this, or I don't believe in that. I think, that, you know, those days of clickbait are gone. I think it's going to be under the following circumstances, this tool is going to be more optimal um, than that tool. That, do you think you know, we should give, do you think we should give Coach Sabin some credit, at least in the football world, from kind of pivoting to what I would consider like an old school kind of stereotypical strength coach to what he has now with Dr. Ree and, and Coach Ballou. Like, do you think that's going to shift the perception of how we view strength coaches, at least in the football world? I hope so. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty unique um, combination right there, the, that trio. Um, and I think in all instances, you know, I could think of examples where ego could get in the way. I mean, hats off to Coach Saban for doing things really well, arguably he was doing just fine. And again, we've all heard those conversations of, well, I've been doing it this way or if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, coach Saban obviously is extremely confident what he does, but also to the strength coach and the sports scientists, you know, working together. And I think when you have those bonds of all three people of confident in what they do, I'm sure they are not good at some things and they know what that is, but then to work together. And that's where those super teams become um, massively impactful because again, you just can't do everything by yourself. So I do think it's incredible. And, and, you know, again, I hope that this sets off a cascade of, you know, people that need to produce. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, those guys aren't allowing people, you know, to slow down. They're, they're trying to get them faster, which ironically, if you go back to Boyd Epley's day uh, with Bob Devaney, I mean, that was literally the number one thing was if they get slower, you're fired. Mm -hmm. And I think that that, again, is a very <laughs> clear message. I think, you know, if that was maybe today, you would say, if you know, their speed drops below 21 miles an hour or whatever, you know, their baseline, you know, you're fired. Um, but it's still, it rings true to accountability. And I think just now technology has increased what that scope and field may look like, if that makes sense. Yeah. Maybe coaches will probably be more uh, attentive to how they're dosing athletes of speed was the main 
benchmark for their job performance. Right. And it could be, maybe it's that, maybe it's strength, maybe it's muscle, maybe it's who knows, but I think you got to have something. I know a lot of coaches struggle with, you know, they have their process, they have their in-season, they have practice, they've got practice plans, they code and grade every practice, but then you go into the weight room, it's kind of this black box, you know, where we're going to go in, lift some weights, and hopefully when they come out the other end, they're a better version, but suddenly now you can see inside of it. Now you can grade every workout. Now you can grade, you know, at the end of the week or at the end of the cycle, did we get closer to our performance goals? And I think coaches are going to expect that. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, this is pretty straightforward physics and biology. Um, you know, it is what it is. And so if you don't have a way to measure it and manage it, you're just kind of guessing. Yeah. So you were the first person to actually tell me that the value of Team Builder, my own product and company, was in the accountability, the historical data. Um, you kind of brought that concept up. So um, you know, let's, let's get into that a little bit. It's like, what's so important about being able to know or pull up a workout session from six months ago, from looking backwards in the data, not just from a reporting perspective, but just from like looking at raw data, like like completed sessions. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, the, the, the value of the historical data is just so over, so, you know, underappreciated and overlooked, you even little things, you know, Oh, you know, you hurt your elbow. Okay. What were you doing? You know, three months ago, Oh, here's the workout. Now, if I'm a director, if I'm a supervisor, did we overprescribe? Did we not sequence things right? Or did we not have a workout on you for those four or five months? So for me, it was always easy as if it's not in Team Builder, it never happened. You know, and that goes both ways. And I think that drove accountability to the strength coaches, you know, making sure. I mean, the idea of just handing someone a workout saying, have at it, it's terrifying. See you in 12 weeks. You can't modify it. You can't do whatever. I know that's one of the reasons why I pushed you so hard when we uh, we had spoke. I don't even know what year it was about the the power of video. I mean, mm -hmm. the number of back injuries we stopped just by being able to subjectively see, wow, that looks terrible. Because an athlete that's not in front of you, again, you still have a tremendous responsibility. But now, especially when COVID hit, everyone's like, oh, my God, COVID's so tough. We've been training on, on Team Bo since 2017. It was no different. It was just an extended at-home period, but you had every tool in the toolbox to be able to evaluate and, you know, yeah. see. And again, if they want to work out, great. If they don't, that's fine too. But I think if you look at the power of training, it's the consistency. So what you've done over the four years is so critical for macro trends. So your power should go up, your strength should go up. If they're going down or you're missing data points, that accountability um, goes both ways, both to the strength coach. And then also to um, the athletes as well. You know, I'm out of shape. Correct. Yes, you are. You've done nothing for six months. You know, my team isn't very strong. Correct. You know, you from January to April, you're one RMs. And again, what I like that you guys never forced us in a box. You want to track it? Cool. Skill, conditioning, whatever. And there was really kind of this open canvas. But looking back, I mean, I'll tell you right now, and, and I challenge anybody listening. Go pull your six months and go tell me how many times you actually hit the exact percentage you want, right? If it's a max RP or if it's a, you know, say a five by two at 85, five by two at 80, things happen. I mean, the college market has so many, you know, disruptions or defaults or things that, you know, they stayed up late, they didn't eat, they had a dumb practice, the sport coach. And if you're not able to adjust on the fly, I mean, some of the, some of the greatest insights, I remember, I won't say who on staff, you know, was looking at his workout logs and every Friday, everybody was tanking on their lifts. They weren't able to hit their numbers uh, the way that they were prescribed. 
Well, come to find out the practice the day before was really crushing them. So either A, you move that sport practice or B, you know, you change your dosage. But if you didn't know and you just said, oh, well, there's another day, there's another day, um, you know, interrupted, you're not getting better. So I think that's yeah. where it's funny to go forward. We spent more time, you know, looking backwards probably than most. Yeah, I can see some experienced coaches saying that, you know, a coach who has experience can eyeball the things that are, you know, being tracked and reported on by systems. But, you know, I would push back against that and say, well, you know, in large settings, you, first, you're human, there are human biases, right? And then secondly, in large settings, you're not going to be able to notice every objective trend. What would you say to a coach that says, you know, experience should, you know, play a bigger part in, say, objective data collection? Well, I think your experience is what plays into the objective data analysis, right? And yes, you can. You can absolutely look at an athlete and be like, wow, that athlete looks terrible. And you've got two eyes and you got 24 hours and you have 168 hours in the week. But if you're overseeing 200 athletes, what happens if that off chance you didn't get your eyes on, you know, and then how do you explain that to a younger coach or a junior coach? And, and you might be able to say, yeah, that person is hurt. That person is not hurt. Or maybe if you're a really seasoned coach, you could say, you know, green, yellow, red, you know, or, or you could put it into quartiles. When you start talking about our tolerances, if we programmed a hypertrophy block, you know, our goal was on tonnage. So reps times sets times load uh, and weight, you know, all that to be able to go through and say, wow, we're up 2%. We're up 3% day over day on the block. We're at 37%. We know on certain protocols, you have to have a density of this amount of time. You're not doing that with your eye. And again, you may do some stuff that actually is confirmed by the data, um, but it really it's that old school subjective, you know, hours and time at the rack combined with the data that actually it's synergistic, right? Yeah. Makes it combine. Yeah. Um, speaking back to when you said that, you know, the plan is the plan until it's, it's not. First, it takes a coach to notice, right, that your 12-week program needs some changing if you're paying attention. You, do you refer to that as fluid periodization? Is that your preferred term? And oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say no, no. We uh, our term. So we again, we were very spoiled. You know, being in Connecticut, working with uh, Dr. Bill Kramer, um, that the concept of flexible nonlinear periodization, which mm -hmm. really they started there with um, Andrew Hootie and Jerry Martin and those guys, and you know, being able to basically say every day I'm going to the rack with some sort of medicine. You know, we mm -hmm. talk about you know exercise is medicine one, two, or three, you know, different classes of medication, being able to adapt and adjust that. Um, that's what we did. So we have a general goal for the semester for the given period of time, but we're reactive to what happens that day. Um, and obviously the things that happen outside the weight room um, are more likely than not to uh, work against us if we're, if we're making, you know, kind of poor social choices, if that makes sense. Yeah. So um, what are the, some of the things that you're reacting to? And then what are some of the interventions that you would call to play for instance like i guess changing volume and intensity for a specific exercise specific exercise in the day but certainly there are other interventions that you could that you could pull on uh based on what you're reacting to yeah so i mean obviously the subjective thing of just seeing like hey does this how does this person look how do they move if they walk into the weight room and you know today's supposed to be a heavy day but you go look at them and they had a massive exam or a final paper and they're crushed I mean, that's number one. And again, that's a very obvious no-duh evaluation. Um, we were really big into using power. So understanding, and again, this is all in Doc's book, you know, he'll talk about, you know, 95% of your preseason value or better, Nine, 95 and up, 90 and up and below 90. So really, those are the three buckets. But within those three buckets, you know, a one through 10 scale of how you feel. 
So if you just think about that three by 10 right there, you've got 30 different potential outcomes and options. And whether you use all 30, whether you break that up into 15 or 10 or whatever, the idea is there's this spectrum of what's healthy or not. And I think that's what got me excited too about the plates is we had always looked at peak power as a measure of you know vertical jump into a formula and their body weight. And so we got power, but that was only part of the story. And so if you look at some of the workflows that we have uh, on our on our Hawken plates, you know, immediately the workflow, you can go and see not only the peak, which I had looked for before, but what was my strategy to do that? So we'll talk about a corkscrew. So say someone's right to left in tactical law enforcement, you know, if someone's got their kit on one side, or maybe they're actually probably a little bit more seasoned, if they've got years and years of, um, you know, one-sided, lopsided loading, they're going to have a different strategy than the 18-year-old who might just be trying to figure out how to time up their arm swing. So I might be looking at, you know, yes, you jumped the same height, but it was kind of different. You used a different approach. And then obviously the landing on the backside. I mean, one of two things, you're either going to A, fall down when you land, uh, B, you're going to absorb it uh, properly within your muscles and call it just correct kinematics, or maybe you're stiff or you're tight, and then you just start smashing into your loading. So when you come down, and so you're not really absorbing force. And, and you've heard me say this before, you know, Ferraris can't miss oil changes. Well, they also can't have bad brakes. Because when we talk about those high performance, those supporting systems, whether they're metabolically or structurally, they can get out of whack. So again, mm-hmm. you as the coach, and again, I'm not going to claim to have a PhD in you know, biomechanics, but let's just call it good or bad landing strategies. You, know, you might set a tolerance and say on certain players that are going to play a lot, we want to cut it off. And I want to share that information if the values get above here. And I think that really, you know, from strength coach on the floor, um, you know, I would have the data. But then I can share that with athletic training. You know, I can look at an entire unit or position group and say, wow, everybody in this unit is cooked. And people will ask, you know, what's this value? You know, what's it worth? What's this? What's that? It's like, I don't know. What's it worth just having, you know, one person not blow a knee out, you know, and then you can't prevent injuries. I think that's, again, if you look at historical stats on injuries and in NCAA, um, they're there. They haven't gone down. Um, mm-hmm. what you can do is manage them. So if there's going to be 10 injuries this week, prefer, preferably you'd want to have the injuries, uh, all 10 go to the other team. The idea that it's a 50, 50 split in injuries is, uh, that's just a, a false concept. So we could go in and say, okay, you know what we're going to do? We see somebody's landing strategies off. You know, I noticed the left to right imbalance of 30%. Normally this person's single digits, whatever your cutoff is, I'm going to let the doctors know. I'm going to let medicine know. And that's incredibly powerful when you talk about athlete monitoring. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just something we didn't have early on. Talking Dynamics is three years old. We've been doing this longer than three years. But again, for me, thinking about if I were a strength coach, I mean, this is this is incredibly disruptive information. Yeah. Because I think a lot of times at the intermediate and advanced levels, and you hear this from sport coaches and athletes, I just don't want to get hurt in the weight room. To me, that just that's a loading problem. That's mismanagement of load. And whether it's speed, power, you know, or whatever. Um, the idea is you now have an objective um, number to kind of pursue and follow. And it's not like force plate data is a brand new wearable. This stuff's been around. It's just now I can take them to the gun range. You know, I can take them out to the gym. I can take it to the court. I can test that day. And mm-hmm. so that kind of knowledge is power. And, and maybe starters, I test one way, maybe development players, I can do that. But now you're really going to see this flood of information. And so we spend a lot of time of educating, you know, three questions of, what should I test? You know, what's good? Like, what should I measure? Um, and then also, you know, how should I train it? And so we have support staff that do an incredible job all the way up to the NFL, NBA, and, 
NHL. Um, and I think that's great for the high school coach. Yeah. You know, for a high school coach, you'll have access to that same info. And that's what gets me really excited. So yeah. those are some of the ways that we program. So the um, when I came to visit, you were conducting counter-movement jumps, recording vertical height with body weight, and that was your power output. But you were missing that component on the back end, which is force absorption. And if, if, you co- if a coach leaves force absorption on the table, is the biggest fallacy in that that they're they're going to overlook athletes who are at risk. Is that the whole reason we look at uh, the back end of that, of the, the power movement jump? Well, we know, we know that the power output is hugely important. I wouldn't, you know, some might argue that it's the, the king, you know, or the queen of the, the measurements of that. That gets you into the conversation. Now, you can have relative peak power, you have breaking, you have all these other metrics, hundreds of metrics. But at the end of the day, your elite sports are played with skill and tactics at high velocities, high speeds, and in contact sports at high power levels. <clears throat> so that's been the race. And, and I, I would compare it to when we look at barbells, right? It was always the one RM max. Well, now, how quickly did you move it? How, what quality did you move it? And whether that's with a video you know, analysis or whether it's um, you know, with a, um, some sort of other strain gauge or if it's looking at anything. Um, how did I move it? And how did I quickly apply that? And I think that's where the tech now has taken that and expanded it. It's going to be the same thing um, when we look at landing is that your eccentric components may go out first. I jump 30 inches, I jump 30 inches, I jump 30 inches. But it's really that it's my inability to properly manage that coming down. We hadn't really looked at that before. Other than subjectively, then, hey, Hewitt, when you jumped the other day, you know, you look like a, you know, a bag of potatoes when you landed. Right now, now we know what kind of potato you are and specifically what we can do to either, you know, aid and augment your recovery or things that we need to stay away from that could make it worse. Yeah. So notifying the athletic trainer, the doctors, that that was like a form of intervention that you mentioned based on, you know, this analysis. But what what are some examples of interventions that you did in real time in the weight room? Like, I'm interested to know how training sessions changed. Um, you know, based on when you saw, like, a, for instance, a poor kind of movement jump or a poor jump on a force plate. Yeah. So again, p- bucketing them into, is this a red light? This is bad. You're about to hurt yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Let's stop and go into uppers. Or, you know, there's a bunch of individuals that, you know, they might spend all spring just trying to get their power up. Right. And so could you do a power clean? Could you do a hand clean? Could you do some sort of other proxy? I mean, just mm-hmm. straight up, make it a game. You know, mm-hmm. Friday jump off, Monday jump off. You know, and and maybe, you know, I want to see how you jump on Monday and I want to see if you can maintain it on Friday. And so you're able to Mm -hmm. make it that game. Because remember, the hardest thing, especially for an instant generation and for athletes is, why should I be doing all this stuff in January when I just want to play in September? So what does that process look like? So being able to actually say, hey, your top performers put out 8,500 watts. You know, this is what they do. You're at six. Okay, you're on this plan. You know, when you get to 8,000, all right, well, now you notice you're playing. That tells the story of why that stuff uh, mattered because we built you up over time. And, and realizing everybody might have a different strategy and it could just be that they're a freshman or a sophomore and they're just not mentally checked in yet. Mm-hmm. It could be the junior or senior who's coming back from injury. You don't know. But I think it just quantifies your path and your roadmap um, mm-hmm. much more quickly and efficiently and it makes the games fun. You ever see everybody do it? I know at the CSCCA conference that just happened, you know, there was a line around the table. Everybody was trying to do a, an ISO poll. You know, they were going and trying to look and see who, who could get the highest force numbers. And again, that's that gamification of something that could be a little bit intimidating. I think some mm-hmm. people are intimidated. It made it fun, you know, and you pick 
we always tell everybody pick one thing and do it really well and then build. Don't worry about running 10 different tests. Pick one thing, depending on what your goal is, and then grow from there. And then it's, it's usually um, pretty pretty self-explanatory from there. Yeah. And, and for you, that test was power output and then later on uh, force absorption. Is that right? Yeah, it's absorption, how quickly you absorb it. If it, you know, you had two tenths of a second to, or three tenths of a second to generate and through your propulsive phase to create that power, you know, but you only had a tenth of a second when you came down because you locked your knees out or maybe you shifted left and right uh, because of your position. You're always on the left side. You're a baseball player. You're a lacrosse player. We need to know that. We need to know that. So, you know, really putting things into either production power numbers or breaking longevity numbers. So thinking both sides of the curve. Yeah. So power production, did, did that eat into your, uh, how you viewed 1RMs? Did, did, did the 1RM become of less importance once you started using power output? No, I think, I think in, in fact, you know, we, we always explain, you know, you got muscle, uh, muscle that, you know, separates us from, you know, men and women. Men have more lean muscle mass. Um, over the course of their time, hopefully in college, they're adding muscle mass, but then what's your function of it? I mean, it never hurt to get stronger, right? So as force goes up and whether you want to argue about what percent, you know, the peak power comes at, call it the 60% and then you can have the conversation down into the 30 or, you know, some of the, the, the resisted sprinting stuff down at 10% or, or whatever. It's all a function of your max. I just think the question is now, yes, you are strong. I am strong, but one of us might be, you know, a pickup truck and one of us might be a Ferrari. So how do we bend the curves? How do we bend the transmission? And with realistic expectations, I mean, anybody that says you're going to do this style of training and then you too can be in the NFL, you too can be in the NBA. No, we can make you better. You can, we can make someone stronger, faster. You know, I got that concept from uh, Lou up at Michigan. I remember him saying that, it's, you know, can you, one of his athletes asked, you know, can you, can you make me fast? And he said, no, I can make you err. And I think that's now knowing the depth of err, you know, I can shave a 10th here. I can gain five or 10 pounds, but if you're 160 pounds and you got to be a 330 pound left tackle, uh, it just may not be in the cards. And I think now again, you have greater clarity and granularity into your dosing. So I wouldn't say it's, um, it's less important. It just, you got to get muscle, then you got to get strong. And then you got to have functional capacity in every plane of motion uh, of that power. And then a, compo- a, a really big component of getting to the next level for an athlete is how they work with their sport coaches as well and how the sport coach works with the, the strength coach. Do you have opinions on that? That's kind of been a topic the last couple of years is you know, how do strength coaches uh, work in a productive way with sports coaches as opposed to just taking orders for them and being yes men or yes women? Yeah, I think your relationship with your sport coach is super important. What is my goal? I mean, oftentimes you ask strength and conditioning coaches, like, what is your goal with this team? Uh, do what coach says or make sure nobody gets hurt or whatever versus saying, you know, your job is that, you know, for this month, I want to work on uh, putting on muscle or this month. I want to work on one RM strength. I mean, I was very lucky with football with coach Reno would say to me, Hey, you know, what are we going to do with this guy? Well, if it's a max strength person, he wouldn't come to me in the middle of that block and say, well, he's not conditioned. Correct. He's not conditioned. Right. So, you know, if we're, we're going to reno the kitchen or we're going to reno the basement of the house, probably not the time to have a party. And so when, when we're done, that final product, you know, is going to be better, but earn, under construction in that transition time, you know, that's important. And I can flip on the other side is that you might have someone who's super athletic, way above what they need to be. Um, you know, it's kind of extra, but they don't know how to play the game. You know, Coach Shea would have a guy that couldn't catch, right? It doesn't matter what they do in the weight room. So having a set of language and tools that mean something to everybody in order to make your decision and coaching decisions, 
Um, that's super important. I think you just got to have those because I can tell you so many strength coaches, oh, the sport coach runs them into the ground. My counter is why can't you explain to them that's bad? You know, if they're really, if you're convinced that they're running them into the ground, you should be able to show that with data. You know, they do really well when they're with me. And then when they go with you, they're, you know, underperforming and or the injuries or whatever it is. And vice versa, the sport coaches, hey, I give you the guys in January. I give you them as a, as a freshman. By junior year, they're jumping lower and they're slower. So I think it goes both ways because, again, straight coaches write crappy programs. We all do. I mean, anybody who doesn't think that they do is, I guess, I guess kidding themselves. I've, run, I've written tons of crappy programs. But you write them once. And that, that was another Boyd Epleyism growing up is that, you know, know it and track it. And our team builder, at the end of the quarter, we would go through the calendar. We would go through and have a conversation, program defense on Wednesday. Here's what I intended to do. Here's what I did in January. And then on the backside, here were my numbers. Here's what this produced. Well, if I run it, say TJ ran it or Tofi ran it or whoever, if everyone was getting similar results given the certain circumstances, that would then get saved. We would load that into the saved profile section. Um, that you gave us. And so then we write a description. So if there was a really good block, there's a really good architecture, we're not reinventing the wheel. And so we would save it back in there. And then that's what we would show sport coaches to say, why are we going to do this crazy plan? Well, because you wanted to get stronger, or you wanted to get faster, you wanted to get more conditioned. Here are the known plans. And we backed it up with data. So it wasn't just our opinion when we spoke to sport coaches. I thought that was so cool when I sat in on a meeting. And, and actually, your staff meeting, I think, is probably one of the primary things you can export from your experience is how you conducted that meeting, um, how you had every coach speak and be accountable for the performance of the team of each individual that they're in charge of on a day-by-day basis. I thought was incredible. Taking into account everything, right? The, the team's travel schedule, uh, individuals, you know, personal circumstances, things like that. Um, that was a pretty intensive staff meeting that I sat in on. And you guys did that every day, I think. Correct. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, I mean, let's just put that out there. I was so blessed and so lucky to have, you know, the best strength and conditioning staff in the country. And I say that both, you know, going toe to toe on programming, going on output, whether it's muscle, strength, speed, uh, just team camaraderie. You know, you, I mean, think about it when you came to visit. I mean, long days, you know, 900 athletes, you know, a handful of coaches, but everybody in that office gets laughing. They pick each mm-hmm. other up. And I think, you know, a lot of people, when they think about their coworkers and they think about, okay, this coach program, sometimes you go in, it's just silos. I mean, that, that whole entire department and every day, each one of them had a superpower and a strength. And, you know, again, it got to the point where there were some really in-depth level conversations about programming and, and really kind of being at the tip of the spear, uh, trying things out, but having a language and then just watching them, you know, push each other, push the department itself. I mean, the results that we got over that period of time you know, weren't an accident. It wasn't just football. It wasn't lacrosse. I mean, you had all those teams in the top 25 individual records that had stood, you know, for lots and lots of years were shattered. I don't know the exact count, but let's just say a lot of records were broken um, and things were achieved. And and again, I could not have done that without the staff. I mean, those the individuals you saw were handpicked from our internship program, which is pretty rigorous. Um, and they were the best of the best. And my job was just to let them shine. I was lucky. I had a ton of diamonds and just let them shine and whatever I could do to help them grow and assist them in their growth. Um, that's all I had to do. So yeah, no, that's that staff meeting was a byproduct of just excellent people working together. Yeah. That there's you and your staff are also responsible for quite a few new team builder features. You already mentioned the the video. So video journal for the listeners, you know, sorry, Tom, 
video journal was was the ability for athletes to record themselves doing a lift or a set and then uploading it and then that video is appended to that exercise on that day so that coaches can go through logs of video uh you know for athletes and say filter for back squat in this date range and they can look at their back squat and then look at it at a different point in time and now you're comparing qualitative movements and you know and segments that was a feature that that tom encouraged us to build and we did so tom what were some other things that you had us build that you can remember that were impactful for your program yeah i mean the notes i mean again something so simple oh, the yeah. notes our guys you know, we would say, you know, hey, I want to pretend like I don't know anything. I want to be able to re, re, re-account every, everything that you did during your lift. So we would write notes. And I remember the day that, you know, they were writing such good notes. And again, when you're, you're talking about the Yale athletes, again, you know, you're blessed with some very, very intelligent people. They're very diligent, very caring um, about what they're trying to do. And, and they're intentional. They would write the notes and they maxed out the character feature. And so if I pulled a workout card, it would say, you know, felt like this RPE could have done more, you know, which helped us, right? Like, so, Hey, mm-hmm. I want you to hit this for this 85% for two. Well, if they say they could do one more, you know, that's not what we wanted. Or if they said they could do 10 more, you know, that isn't correct either. I was looking for a certain RPE. I mean, how are you going to do that? You know, if you don't have a space to write notes, I mean, that, that is high tech right there is that I can now get to see it. And I mean, kids sometimes at home, they love their selfies. They'll go record it in the journal and say, I could have done five more. Now, it's also a learning lesson. Hey, I could do five more. But I, as a coach, go and look and you're like, no way you could have done five more. Uh-huh. You Now you can extend it. And I mean, the number of times we actually use the video feature to say back off, take offload. Um, we were very, very lucky. Our compliance officer was great working with us and understanding that if an individual came to you and said, coach, I want to train. I want to do this safely you know, anywhere in the world, we could give them a great world-class experience. Um, so really, it was kind of the, the Yale digital net um, went global. And again, going back to the pandemic, it wasn't a big shift for us, because whether you're in California, whether you're in, you know, South Africa or wherever, um, yeah. we could just click in and, and see those videos. And so that the video feature was great. But I mean, don't get me wrong, the notes was a was a great one that I, I really enjoyed is when you expanded those characters, that was great. Yeah, well, I was, again, surprised when I saw how intensively you use notes. Um, But then I realized that you guys are taking the fact seriously, that you're taking seriously the fact that you're dosing athletes, but you're not actually with them in person. And there's like a degree of, you know, the seriousness to that, right? Like, if you're going to ask athletes to get better in the offseason, that directly precedes their competitive season, you had better be on top of what they're doing on a day-by-day basis and actually seeing that and writing back to them that some coaches might think that's a lot of work, but do how, how much do you think that enhanced your off season, like your summer off season when people worked off campus? Do you think that you were 25% more effective than the team who just handed a paper packet out to everyone and asked them to do it? Do you think you're like 50% more effective than that? Yeah. I mean, I can tell you that we were north of 80 and 90% most off seasons on our teams that were successful because again, we're not getting that detraining effect. Again, mm-hmm. some kids might have internships on wall street twice a week and that's all they can give you. So it's a completely different strategy than your freshman that you maybe have four days a week in new Haven. Um, so certainly it was effective, but again, that's why, you know, you saw the back-to-back national appearance and you know, we won the first time, lost the second time, but we were in it. You know, and then when the pandemic, I mean, that team was loaded to bear. I wonder how the 2018 team would have handled that. I mean, the Yale 2020 team was was pretty loaded, um, but the numbers and by you know how hard they worked, did an incredible job. Same thing 
you know, this year, unfortunately, they didn't get to play. But I mean, that team and other teams, it just by the numbers and metrics we had used, I mean, that wasn't an accident. Um, and it was certainly as a result of being on training football, you know, two out of the last three, you know, available years. And again, offensive and defensive players. I mean, it, it, it'll change your program, uh, not only for one year, but also years out. So yeah. not having those D training times and you can't, you can't program, you can't program aggressively. If you don't get feedback, every coach uses feedback when they're at the racks. It's just now you've got video, you've got notes. I mean, sure, you can even FaceTime if you needed to. So again, it gives you a whole unprecedented level um, of confidence to to program safely when they're not in front of you. Yeah. Well, what, what else did you um, contribute to Team Builder? I know there was quite a few things: notes, videos. That was super important. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, the the member that we would we'd been bugging you about ranges, you know, instead of having to say three uh, at whatever. Yeah. You know, one to three, you know, five to eight, 10 to whatever. Um, that was huge because, again, depending on, again, what our objective or goal was to not be locked into percentage based training. I mean, come on, don't tell me that if someone's at home and you hand them a packet and you say 73%, next week you're going to do whatever, 76 and a third percent, you know, these really, really fine tuned, you know, dosages. Like if you can't see it or you don't have feedback on it, you don't know. And so again, what we wanted to do is not to overshoot or undershoot. Um, and so that was hugely helpful for us, especially in an accessory exercise. I don't know if anybody else, I'm sure, again, if you're a college coach, everybody goes home and they magically lift more. Well, fun fact, the commercial gyms aren't the same, you know, same pulley ratios as what we had in the, the collegiate setting. So magically everybody got stronger. And I think there was one coach who actually went, actually weighed all the 45 pound plates. And I forget you know, what exactly the range was, but let's put it this way. Gold's gym had some pretty light 45 pound weights. If you know yeah. what I mean? So, um, you know, I want to see that. And so giving a range, you know, in the fives or in the eights or in the tens, you can kind of, you know, predict it. If I say do something for five, you know, three to five, and you finish that and you say you could own 15 more, we know we were too light. So I really enjoyed that. I also, um, I loved the custom, uh, feature. So we would go in, um, and be able to break down into those either waves. So whether it was three, two, one, two, one, one, uh, six, four, two, or two, four, six, or whatever, if we're going to do straight five, straight eight, but then being able to do that open set at the end, because again, outside of our programmable compound lifts, we would really use slides. So, and again, we, oh, the first time we had seen that was via one of the workouts shared with us by Joe Staub, another Yukon, Kansas guy, the three sets of five. So you go 60, 60, 65. Well, the nice thing about team builder is that you, you have those percentages already in, so it'll auto bump them, right? Mm -hmm. Some people, I would never want that to have, okay, cool. So lock your maxes. But suddenly now you had a way to basically run out a program in a, in a safe and, you know, easy manner, um, to make sure that those weights were right. And then on the flip side, you could put that open set on the front. So if, again, if yeah. it was five sets of three, maybe that first five, you put it at 65, 70% just to gauge and lock in. And I'm a coach at the rack. I can just automatically epi epi the max right there on the spot and make sure because sometimes they get stronger, especially that novice to intermediate athlete that may yeah. be playing or not. You can tighten up to make sure that you don't go waste those five sets at a percentage that was completely outside the, the RM zone. Yeah, why wait for the, for the session to be over to know they got stronger when you can find out on the front end? And yeah, we do that all the time. To find out on the front. That's so cool. It, it, it's also, I noticed that it creates like a degree of intent that doesn't exist. Uh, otherwise, if athletes know that it's just a regular training day, but what I do on this training day counts, it has 
consequences or, you know, otherwise in team builder, then that creates a different level of intent when they face that training session, knowing that they have a max that's living and breathing that could change at any moment. That's not the same as training for eight, 12 weeks and then going in for test day again. It's hard to kind of lose sight uh, when every day counts for an athlete. Did you see that with, with your kids? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head is that it's this living, breathing max. But if you went and looked at our team builder, we have hundreds of exercise. Well, it's your max on every single one of those movement patterns. Mm-hmm. And so we would say to them and make it very clear, this is an exercise that we are trying to up our 1RM. Well, guess what? It would be posted right there in their team builder, like at the rack. Oh, my max is going up or it's going down. Mm-hmm. Conversely, we may lock the reps. So we're going to stay at three sets of 10 for a month but I want your tonnage to go up. So again, that interplay, people say, oh, tonnage doesn't matter. Well, yeah, tonnage doesn't matter if you don't lock the intensity. You know, I mean, sorry, if you don't lock the reps and you go back and forth. Um, So I think, you know, one of the first things I'll do is I'll walk in a weight room and say to the athlete, what's the point of the day? How do you win your day? Oh, I lift weights, right? You know, I I consume oxygen. I'm physically present. Or they know that I'm actually at 1.3 times my body weight. By the end of this block, I should be at double. Then I got to go work on my power. I'm going to work on my high speed with you know plyos. Then I'm going to work on Olympic lifting, right? You have to have max intent. And now coaches have that right yeah. there, but just so getting organized is the point. So your athletes even knew the narrative of their like physical journey, which I think is so crazy because looking back at my personal career, you know, I knew that the goal is to get bigger, faster, stronger, right? Errs. But yeah, we just had to show up and trust the process. It's kind of the way we were taught. It sounds like your your athletes were given a little bit more than that. They were given an idea of the journey that we're on. They were given context, and and that's important. You think? Yeah, I mean, we know that you know in the metabolic circuit, you know, again going back to some of Dr. Kramer's work, individuals that couldn't hit thirty thousand pounds in the circuit didn't do so well, and individuals that got to fifty or fifty five thousand pounds, those were our first team all Ivy guys. So you knew exactly what you had to do. You know, more importantly you know, everyone understood that on the O or D line, if you weigh 230 pounds, you know, and you need to be 290, you can try, you can struggle. People do the N of one, you know, so-and-so, but for the longevity of the program, especially in a sport like football, those tolerances are so tight. You don't really ever, I mean, think about Alabama, you know, you ever seen a 175 pound guard, you know, you just don't, no matter how hard that person tries, it's a game of physics. Um, And lacrosse got that way too. I mean, Coach Shea's got Shea problems where you had a bunch of really intentional, you know, very skilled, but just strong individuals that, I mean, those practices, most teams didn't have, you know, 20 or 30 kids over 200 pounds whacking each other and, you know, you know, having these physical practices, how you manage that, you know, that's very, you know, football-like because the collisions, just the the number of collisions and then the impacts uh, went through the roof. And that's, again, just a great commentary on his coaching ability of how to manage those loads. Mm-hmm. Bringing it back to the the force plates, and then we'll wrap up here. Um, do you think force plates, the data, results, and strategy are are as important for that to also be known to athletes? I mean, I think it's easy for athletes to come compete on a force plate because it doesn't take a lot of effort to jump as high as you can and you know land correctly, but. Um, is a good a good feedback tool for them? Is it a good long term tool to show them their kind of like longitudinal, uh, you know, journey on a force plate? Yeah, I mean, I think any tool, particularly the force plates, um, they're kind of self fulfilling, especially too that if you know you can walk up and press the play button 
you know, you can use our workflow. And that was kind of the goal on, you know, this, you know, stuff we've been working on as far as the update is that, you know, really getting, you know, return to action or getting your insight as quickly as possible. Athletes want to see a no. And the only thing is, you know, I, I can hear people already, you know, talking about, well, you know, what if they have a bad test day? You know, is that going to put them in the jar? Okay, so maybe you don't do it the day of a game if you know that mentally someone's not there. But in the off season, if you're telling someone that your job is to get more powerful, what better way to show them that their plan is working by letting them go up and measure that? And again, hopefully things are moving with small tolerances of one percent, two percent, you know, nothing drastic. But if they start to get that fifteen percent or twenty percent out of norm, how empowering is that to say, hey, you need to get in the recovery tub? You need to go get some soft tissue work and then to see those numbers come back down. Because I think every high-performing athlete freaks out when they lose control. So being able to give them insight that, hey, that bender you went on last night to go drinking, that's actually going to impact you five days from now. You know, long after the alcohol is worn off, you know, you might see some effects on the plates um, for days after. So again, I do think that's going to become, you know, just as I said to you back in 17, I think you have to have, you, it's 2021. You have to make the switch and, and go digital um, for your workouts. I just, again, I don't know. I don't know how I would do it otherwise. I think force mm-hmm. plates are going to become right up there as far as every weight room will have that because suddenly now you don't have to have the sports science PhD dedicated wired lab in the ground. Mm-hmm. I mean, you take a Pelican case, you can bring it anywhere. Suddenly now you can start doing those insights and making it manageable. And I think it'll be I think it'll become common knowledge to talk about wattage or to talk about newtons or to talk about asymmetries, um, mm-hmm. just as it you know is now to be able to have all of our stuff connected on our iPad for our workouts. The so force force plays are coming on the road when the the team travels. It's coming with them. You think it's that much of a staple? Yeah, and again, because they're not scary anymore. You know, mm-hmm. because you can see when the warm ups right. You can see, especially any multi day events for an owner, a GM, a coach to kind mm-hmm. of know. And again, it's it's not going to be, or at least it shouldn't be, some sort of, oh my God, this is completely out of control. It's, it goes down a little bit, then you respond. It goes down a little bit, respond. No different than what a sport coach might do in a game, right? You have a game, you have an action plan, but then you're calling audibles during the game and you're adjusting to what's really going on. Um, and so I think that that'll be a huge asset. And my, my hope is to, you know, with our customers this summer, you know, you have the strength coach, you have the athletic trainer, you have the positional coach, you have the head coach, you have the recruiting department. They're all talking watts. They're all talking, you know, the same language because, again, as language gets unified across divisions, it's a synergistic power um, to be able to have your program go in the right direction if everyone has that common understanding and common language. Yeah, I, like, I think I like to get my hands on a force plate and uh, just we got to connect. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll like- see what we do. Get you hooked up because, again, I think uh, it'll be very clear when you start seeing how quickly things go, uh, just how yeah. impactful they'll be. I just like, um, I, I think like a lot of people getting my hands on something and using it in my personal experience, although it's not going to be directly corollary to, you know, elite athletes and elite coaches, it does help me kind of get a better understanding for, for how it is. That's, you know, a big part of why I still train myself. It's just to, you know, kind of have a, a hand in it. Um, yeah. this is awesome, man. So, um, Tom, you know, conference, where are you at CSCCA? I heard you mention it. You it sounded like you were there. Yep. So we had one of our, uh, one of our guys who's down there. Drake was down there. And again, uh, right there with the Samson guys being able to go and uh, show out some of the new yeah. equipment. And again, you take a, a belt squat that, you know, maybe you'd seen before, but you know, now you have a brand new application to it. 
Um, yeah. and, I, and I love the fact that, again, it's, it's old school, lift heavy, um, but with clarity. You know, it's, it's plyometrics, it's jumping, but with new clarity. And so it starts yeah. to open up. So, yeah, we were there um, and had a great time. That's cool. Samson guys, good guys. Um, we did not do CSCCA. We just thought it was like a month too soon, but we plan on being at NSCA national, which I believe you guys will probably have a presence there. Uh, yeah, correct. Uh, okay, great. So we have that lined up. Anyone listening to this podcast, if you're planning on going to the NSCA national, uh, you know, come by the, uh, wherever Hawkins is, if they're with Samson again, then you'll probably see team builder nearby. Um, but you know, we can take these discussions of time I've been having and do them in person and do some lifting at the same time and jump on some, some plates and kind of, you know, check this stuff out. I think again, kinetically, that's the best way from, that I learned. I think most people learn. So we want to take advantage of that when we are in person again, this, uh, the summer. Yeah. And I think too, you know, we, we have a very, you know, awesome, um, environment as far as reaching out and doing webinars. We have a whole series of stuff coming out this mm-hmm. summer. So if anyone's interested um, you can follow us on Instagram, uh, under the, the Hawk and dynamics, um, name, um, also just reach out, you know, whether it's shoot us an email or again, um, you know, give us a call, all the stuff's on the website. Um, but we love to talk about training. We love to talk about performance. And again, um, the plates just become that reference point that we all know. We know what wattage is. We know what, you know, one RMs are. And so it just becomes part of that. So we would love to hear from people. And again, if you're not sure, even just, you know, on how this stuff integrates. I mean, I mean, let's be honest with you. You know, we talked about, you know, the two things when I go into the room, I, you know, I got to have my team builder account and, you know, I got to have my, my data and I have to be able to see that. And instead of guessing, I just want to be able to see it, manage it. Um, Cause ultimately at the end of the day, the goal is to give the best product to the, to the athlete. Yeah. And look, I'll tell anyone out there, you know, when we work t- together in a coach vendor relationship, the fundamentals of your system were not uh, complex. You kept it very simple. And then they kind of unlocked insights where then you can kind of get into complex decision making. But I was surprised at how, uh, you know, like uh, focused your vision was on these very fundamental things. It kept it you know, simple for, for me to understand and learn, too. So, um, yeah, I'm going to post your information in the show notes. Um, anyone out there who just wants to, to talk shop one on one, Tom does that. If you want to sit your staff down and do something more formal, Tom does that too. Um, it, it's just a good opportunity to learn. I think that's why Hawk, Hawkins brought you in, right? You're going to be the educator in chief. I don't know if that's your real title, but that's essentially what you're doing, right? Yeah, being able to educate and get in. And again, I'm just part of, again, of a, another great team, being lucky to be a part of that. Um, so being uh, just with guys and, and individuals that just love pushing the envelope. And that's what I would say, whether it's myself, whether it's Drake, whether it's Eric, uh, whoever you get, you're going to be hearing the same thing in the same ethos as what, how do we make better decisions uh, based off our data, but absolutely love doing it. And again, um, you know, from a title standpoint, chief innovation officer, I take that really seriously. Is that I hate, you know, and again, this, I'll go back to, you know, one of the things that impressed me about you guys, I hate products that aren't made for the coach. I hate products that, you know, Hey, you know, if you stand on your head and, you know, you use this, you know, your team builder will work great. You know, hey, these force plates, they got to go with you. It should be aiding and augmenting the coaches, not creating a chafe and, and slowing things down. So whether it's backside on the web app or the physical experience with the workflow, really trying to keep it true to what the goal is, which is to empower people with data yeah. and without any egos or strings attached. Like, here you go. Here's your plates. Here's your data. And then anywhere in the world you want to go, we're there with you. So that's that's what I'm excited about. 
Yeah, because every company out there who uh, works with coaches has to understand they're not the only show in town. Coaches do a lot of things. And if you're going to fit yourself into, you know, their career, you have to do it in a compatible way. Uh, I think that's what uh, what you said pretty well right there. Okay, we'll wrap it up. Tom, thanks again for your time, man. This was so much fun. We'll be doing this yeah. again very soon yeah. in the future. And we'll see you this summer at NCA. All right, we'll see you. Talk to you later. Right. Thanks, guys. See you. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Team Builder Podcast. If you have an idea for a guest or a topic that you would like us to discuss on our format, go ahead and reach out to me. My email is hewitt at teambuilder.com. Thanks again for listening.